We discovered that there were secrets that your body was trying to tell you that could really help you optimize performance. But no one could monitor those things. And that's when we set out to build the technology that we thought could really change the world. Welcome to the WHOOP podcast. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of WHOOP, where we are on a mission to unlock human performance. At WHOOP, our clients range from the best professional athletes in the world to Navy SEALs to fitness enthusiasts to Fortune 500 CEOs and executives. The common thread among WHOOP members is a passion to improve. What does it take to optimize performance for athletes, for humans, really anyone? And now that we've just launched the all-new WhoopStrap 3.0 featuring WHOOP Live, which takes real-time training and recovery analysis to the next level, you're going to hear how many of these users are optimizing their body with WHOOP and with other things in their life. On this podcast, we dig deeper, we interview experts, we interview industry leaders across sports, data, technology, physiology, athletic achievement, you name it. How can you use data to improve your body? What should you change about your life? My hope is that you'll leave these conversations with some new ideas and a greater passion for performance. With that in mind, I welcome you to the WHOOP podcast. Using the WHOOP collected measures, we were able to predict whether or not a person was going to fall into two buckets, and that that one bucket would be someone with um, excellent or above average executive function, higher order processing, and the other bucket meant that um, you know the, the WHOOP measure measures said, "Huh, I'm a little worried about this person. Um, their cognitive function was below expected." Hello, listeners. My guest today is the brilliant and talented Dr. Richard Isaacson, director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic at Weill Cornell Medical College and head of the Weill Cornell Memory Disorders Program and Neurology Residence Training Program. Dr. Isaacson has written multiple near times best-selling books on Alzheimer's disease and also makes regular appearances on the Dr. Oz Show. Richard joins me today to talk about a recent study from Weill Cornell in which patients with a family history of Alzheimer's disease wore whoop straps to evaluate for possible relationships between their sleep patterns and cognitive performance. We discuss the results of the study, the role whoop played, and what it means for future research when it comes to detecting and preventing Alzheimer's disease. With November being Alzheimer's Awareness Month, we also explore how the disease works, who's affected by it, and the number of people who have it, as well as what we can do to prevent it in the future. I'm someone who's had Alzheimer's in my family history, and overall, I think this is just an incredibly important work that Dr. Isaacson is doing. Couldn't be prouder that Whoop supported this study. Without further ado, here's Richard. Well, I'm here with Richard. Thank you so much for coming on the Whoop podcast. Uh, I've been a big fan of your work for quite some time and, and all the research that you've done in Alzheimer's to date. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Will, for having me. And I've been a big fan of, uh, of Whoop for a while. I was an early adopter. I uh, got my Whoop about three three months or so after it uh, after it came out. And uh, thanks to Whoop, uh, and I'm not doing a shameless plug here, but like thanks to Whoop, I got my resting pulse down from 56 to 43. And so I think that means you're making me live longer. So it's a pleasure to be here. 
So uh, Alzheimer's Awareness Month is November, and I'm really proud of the work that we've gotten to do together. I think before we jump into talking about uh, the study that, that we've conducted, why don't we just first talk about how you got into Alzheimer's? So well, why Alzheimer's, Richard? Sure. So Alzheimer's uh, for me is personal. And um, my uncle Bob was diagnosed when I was um, in high school and back on Long Island. And uh, basically, as I've uh, kind of gone throughout my career, several other family members um, were also diagnosed with Alzheimer's. So um, I've seen the disease develop um, in people really when I was young. And and now it's uh, something that um, is is a disease where we now know it starts 20 to 30 years before the first symptom of memory loss begins. So I've, I've really been interested in the prevention of Alzheimer's. I'm seeing people kind of like me, um, asymptomatic, no, no problems with memory function, but, but people that have a risk of Alzheimer's in their family and trying to figure out what can we do in evidence-based and safe way uh, to reduce that person's risk. Um, you know, exercise is by far the number one thing a person can do to reduce their risk. Hence, uh, hence our interest in, in, in lifestyle and, and other uh, aspects. Well, I devoured your book, uh, The Alzheimer's Prevention and Treatment Diet, uh, over the past few days. It's pretty phenomenal. I recommend anyone uh, reading it. And we also share uh, the personal connection to Alzheimer's because my grandmother died with Alzheimer's. And, you know, I remember vividly um, in the sort of the last 10, 10 years of her life, like having those conversations with her where she would just completely forget what we'd been talking about. And, you know, it's, it's really hard, especially for a young person, I think, to understand. Like I was between the ages of eight and like 15 when, when I was sort of experiencing this with Missy. And so uh, when the opportunity came up to do more research uh, on Alzheimer's with WHOOP, I was just overall really excited. And I, I'd been such a big fan of your work and everything that you've done in the space that, you know, we felt like we, we had to leap at the opportunity. Now, let's talk about Alzheimer's for a second, a little bit more. So I think what would be helpful for probably people listening is just like how big of a problem is an Alzheimer's? How many people have it? You know, things like that. Sure. So Alzheimer's is by far the most common neurodegenerative disease, or, or what that means is the most common brain disease uh, of people as we age. And um, I think a lot of people, you know, think of Alzheimer's disease as an older person's disease, but um, we now know that that's really not true. Alzheimer's um, begins in the earlier, even middle age. Um, so um, while over probably 5.8 or so million Americans currently have Alzheimer's disease dementia, meaning someone has Alzheimer's in their brain, but they can no longer care for themselves. Um, Believe it or not, over 46 million Americans have Alzheimer's in their brain right now, uh, but have no symptoms. And that's called preclinical or pre-symptomatic Alzheimer's. And yeah, that's, it's, uh, those numbers are shocking. Um, this is not just a public health um, urgency. It's a public health emergency, uh, not just in the United States, but really also globally. Yeah, I mean, I think the numbers are pretty staggering when you actually look at it. And the thing I found so interesting in uh, in reading your book is how how early some of the symptoms um, or how early you can actually track against this before you know the the obvious symptoms of forgetting things and and things of that nature actually persist. 
Yeah, um, you know, Alzheimer's is characterized by, you know, someone losing their keys and, you know, forgetting words and missing appointments. Um, that's what most people understand of, about Alzheimer's, but it's it's really much different. Um, you know, people's sleep patterns change, their mood changes. Um, and this happens, honestly, years or, or decades before symptoms, you know. And what we're, we do in the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic is try to look for tools and signs um, way earlier before symptoms. You know, you can do a brain scan and find if there's amyloid, that's the bad um called the, the pathologic protein yep. that gets gunked up in the brain of an Alzheimer's patient. Um, you can see that on a brain image on a PET scan, you know, a decade or more before. Um, but we're, what we're doing is we're trying to develop a new and innovative tests, um, cognitive tests, technology-based assessments, where we can detect uh, maybe something's wrong before that first symptom. And if we can do that and then intervene accordingly, um, that's when we can have, um, you know, the most benefit. And there's, it seems to me there's three levels or stages of Alzheimer's disease. Talk a little bit about each one of those stages. Sure. So um, in the past, we used to call patients, uh, they have Alzheimer's disease or Alzheimer's dementia, meaning they had problems with their memory and they couldn't take care of themselves any, any longer. Now, we know that um, is Alzheimer's dementia, but we now know that's actually the End, end stage of Alzheimer's called stage three Alzheimer's disease dementia. And that's that's the that's the most uh, progressed level. Um, and basically what we now know is that Alzheimer's um, occurs over decades. So stage one Alzheimer's disease um, is preclinical or pre-symptomatic. That means that the disease is starting to develop silently in the brain, uh, but there are no symptoms. Now, stage two um, is, is different. It's called mild cognitive impairment due to Alzheimer's disease. And what that means is that someone may be having those, what we used to call in the past, senior moments. So I forget something here and there, but it's not affecting my activities of daily living. I can still take care of myself, uh, oneself. Um, so with that, it's really the earliest symptomatic phase of Alzheimer's. Um, so stage one, no symptoms. Alzheimer's has begun in the brain. Stage two, mild symptoms, but the person can still care for themselves. And stage three is Alzheimer's disease dementia, where the problems with memory and cognitive function and everything else um, really impair the person's ability to you know, live independently. Um, there's also, you know, before all this happens, um, really I call it stage zero. And stage zero means there's no symptoms and there's no Alzheimer's yet in the brain. And that's really um, an important phase. And that's um, an area of uh, prevention called primary prevention. So we're trying to prevent uh, the disease from happening in the first place. And I think um, that's a really important phase. So I think whether you're pre-Alzheimer's in the brain or during uh, the earliest stages, that's when we can do a lot uh, to reduce a person's risk. Explain, I mean, in that, that earliest stage where there isn't, you know, there aren't necessarily any symptoms, right? It's preclinical. How do you actually know that someone's experiencing the early stages of Alzheimer's? Sure. So um, I usually just uh, kind of take my um, magic hands and wave them over the person's. Um, no, I, so there's no magic perfect way to do this. But I think what, what we're doing as researchers and as, as clinicians, we're trying to do something and we're trying to figure it out. So um, the way that we've kind of characterized this is we call it the ABCs of Alzheimer's prevention management. And ABC, uh, we, we came up with that because we wanted to try to keep it simple. Um, Alzheimer's is, is complicated. Neuroscience and the brain is, is complicated. Um, but we try to keep it simple. So A stands for anthropometrics. Anthropometrics is just a big, big word that really um, talks about body composition. What is a person percent body fat? What is a person's muscle mass? Um, these are things that you know, a lot of people just don't think of these and Alzheimer's in the same sentence, but honestly, they're, they're really, really related. Um, as the belly size gets larger, 
the memory center in the brain gets smaller. It's it's uh, it's very interesting, and it really um, underscores that Alzheimer's disease is, is really a medical disease that then affects the brain later. Um, so we look at the A's, we look at the B's, B's that include um, blood-based biomarkers. So what do I mean by that? I mean uh, cholesterol markers, inflammation, um, metabolism, things like blood sugar, um, nutritional markers, as well as genetics. So we do um, several genetic uh, tests in the, in the clinic. And this is uh, something called personalized medicine or precision medicine is what, what we've called it before. And then the, finally, the C is cognitive tests. So when we're trying to assess what, what is happening in the brain of an Alzheimer's uh, patient, um, we know that things start changing in the brain and they don't have symptoms, but you can actually detect um, changes in cognitive function using very sophisticated um, uh, cognitive tests using a computer. So we've uh, created some some tests that we can administer online in front of a computer, and we take all of these ABCs together, and we look for a signature of, of what um, is the pathology potentially. Is this person on the metabolic road, diabetes, for example? Is this person on the cholesterol road? So again, they don't have symptoms, but their cholesterol is all out of whack, and specific um, aspects of their cholesterol say, I I bet this person's at high risk. So we take all this together. We use the genetics. And of course, you know, with, with our study, we, we're using even um, passively collected data. We're using, um, you know, cardiovascular metrics. We're using sleep patterns um, to, you know, wouldn't it be amazing? So right now, most doctors have to order really expensive, fancy PET scans that cost $5,000 and are not covered by insurance. Well, what we're trying to do in the clinic is we're trying to do computer-based tests, and that's quicker and, and cheaper and easier, and we're trying to do blood tests. But wouldn't it be better to not even, like, stick someone with a needle, not not stick someone in a expensive MRI or PET scanning machine, just have someone wear a ring or a, a whoop device or whatever it is, a, you know, implant something that can actually detect whether or not a person may be having cognitive changes by using a, a peripheral biosensor. Well, I love, I love how you highlighted just the fact that it's so hard to actually um, diagnose this in its earliest stages, right? The facts that the, you have to go through this ABC steps. And, you know, ultimately there's this opportunity, whether it's with, um, you know, random testing or whether it's lo with looking at your body or blood markers, to then introduce other invasive or, excuse me, non-invasive measurements like with WHOOP. Um, to be able to measure things like sleep and cardiovascular activity and, and then try to pin down those other items or identify people earlier in the process that may be at risk. So if you think about, uh, we talked earlier about the 47 million people, right? Where do they fall across those three different stages? So actually, the 47 million people are, are people at stage one, meaning they have Alzheimer's in their brain, but no symptoms. Um, stage two, meaning the mildest symptoms, but but Alzheimer's in the brain. We don't actually have the best statistics on that. So I, I'd probably be guessing, but I would say at least 10 million people or so. But wow. but again, this is, this is a guess. And then in terms of the dementia stage three, um, the best estimates are approximately 5.8 million Americans. So if you take these numbers, you know, and you add them all up together, I mean, we're talking over easily 60 million people in America, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's a lot of people um, at all the various stages of Alzheimer's disease. It's so it's an enormous number of people. Let's, let's talk, um, let's talk more about 
you had a, a pretty personal incident with with Alzheimer's when you were young with uh, Uncle Bob. Let's talk about Uncle Bob for a second and how he inspired your work. So if you look somewhere um, in my office, up oh, there we go, above on the, on the top of the bookcase, um, Uncle Bob um, was not just who's uh, actually my great uncle, but he's not just a, a relative of mine. He um, number one introduced my parents, so like that's important. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't be here uh, if it wasn't for him. And then um, uh, number two, uh, if it if uh, after I was born, I also wouldn't be here um, if it wasn't for him. Because at the age of three, um, I uh, jumped into the pool uh, at my aunt Carol's house uh, on Long Island and uh, sunk to the bottom. And everyone was inside except my uncle Bob. Kind of said, "Hey, where's little Ricky at?" And uh, he basically ran out, jumped into the pool, and saved me. And to the to this day, I don't go near water. Um, I hate water; it freaks me out. <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, Bob, Uncle Bob was was really really important for me. And um, you know, there was always like a connection with me and him. And I don't maybe understand why, or maybe it's uh, maybe there's a reason. Obviously, because I ended up later dedicating my career to it. But you know, just just to see someone like him, you know, he, he used to say, uh, "What a party!" Uh, it's, he's always the the life of the party at all the the family events and and, and gatherings. He would always be the one who really brought the life to the party. And, you know, to see someone like that, of all people, to basically just become a shell of himself, um, really become nothing, um, not even be able to have a conversation, barely be able to look. Uh, you know, my, my cousin Cynthia, you know, she would have to take care of him. And, and, and like, that's, that, that's just heartbreaking. So, uh, and this happens to, you know, millions of people and, and Alzheimer's doesn't just affect the, the patient, it, it affects the entire family. So um, it really has um, kind of given me the motivation to keep pushing forward um, to, to, to do something um, against this disease. Well, I love what you just said about uh, about your uncle, because I, I remember vividly the same experience with, with my grandmother, who was just such an energetic woman and someone who was constantly surrounded by other people, someone people looked at as an inspiration. And then over time, you just saw that slow deterioration, and it was so sad. So I think with that in mind, let's talk about this unbelievable study that you conducted and, and helped lead. Why don't you explain explain it for our audience? Um, in the never-ending quest to try to um, detect Alzheimer's disease as early as possible, because if we can do that, then we can intervene as early as possible. I had this, um, I guess, idea, or, or my gut told me, I guess, honestly, it was my gut that said that um, there's something about the cardiovascular system and something about sleep um, that are intimately related to Alzheimer's. So, um, you know, having cardiovascular disease um, basically fast forwards a person to Alzheimer's and, and it really fast forwards a person through the dementia process. And in Alzheimer's, we don't want to do that. We don't want to fast forward. We want to slam on the brakes. So totally. having um, cardiovascular disease, um, there's just something that made sense with, with monitoring someone's cardiovascular um, state. The other part about uh, sleep is uh, sleep is just so important when it comes to brain health. And um, as we sleep, um, there's different phases of sleep. And, and basically, when someone is um, having deep sleep, um, that is really the, um, the garbage disposal time of the brain. So I, I talked earlier about, um, you know, amyloid, the bad protein that gets gunked up, built up in a person uh, brain with Alzheimer's. And during deep sleep, that's when the trash gets taken out and the amyloid um, gets removed. So, you know, when people are, um, you know, not having sufficient deep sleep, um, they're 
their basically repair mechanisms just aren't working. Um, and when it comes to REM sleep, that's the, the part of sleep, uh, rapid eye movement sleep, uh, which basically is when the person is dreaming. Um, REM sleep is when a person takes those short-term memories that happen during the day and it gets translated into long-term memories. So to me, um, REM sleep, um, if that's doing well, then maybe your memory is function is better the next day. When REM sleep is low, maybe your memory function isn't as good the next day. And I would see time and time again, um, patients, they were sleep deprived. Um, they're smart and they're normal. They're CEOs of companies, whatever it is. And they come in and uh, their memory isn't really working that great. And, and their processing speed isn't working that great. And their executive function isn't working that great. And all these different parts of of, of the brain function and cognitive function um, are related to these sleep patterns um, subjectively that a person told me. So when I think about, well, if someone's telling me something subjectively, I think, well, what the heck else can we do to objectively track this? Because if we can do this, um, first of all, in a, in a cost-effective way, in a non-invasive way, in a right, way that right. you know patients don't mind, um, I, I'm, I'm interested in that. So I, I was wearing um, a whoop, and I've, I, I've been involved in, you know, tech-based research for a while now, and we build websites and we do all this stuff. So I've always had, I guess, a an interest in tech, but um, I got rejected from MIT, so I had to, you know, be the schlub that went to medical school. So I went to <laughs> medical school, and things come full circle, and and we have a, a tech-based research program. We create apps and this and that and everything. Um, so I bought a Whoop for myself to use personally, and, and honestly, and within what time frame was this? Time frame. So I bought the Whoop uh, February of I believe 2017, probably three months after it came out. Yeah, so okay. that would have been early. That would have been early on in the consumer launch. Yep, exactly. So I I read about it on a blog or something like that and I waited a month or two to see some feedback and I pulled the trigger I got it in a few weeks and literally within a week I said ah I mean, this this is this is what I needed. You know, tracking heart rate variability is it used well used to be cumbersome. Now it's not, thankfully. Um, in the past, like, you know, um, there were other devices that I wore. I, I won't <laughs> won't name any names, but like, I'm sorry, but step counting just like irrelevant. Like, come on. Like, I I mean, I I, I respect the person that kind of <laughs> came up with the step counting thing, and I, I've read that literature, but I mean, that is like decades old stuff. And to me, um, just having a passive device. Um, you know, I uh, I sleep in bed every night with a former Division One college athlete who ran track and field at USC. Oh, um, she's a couple years younger than me, so I got to keep up. So in order to like, you know, um, stay in best physical health and, and cardiovascular and and also mental health, um, I'm I'm looking for every edge I possibly can take. So um, you know, using Whoop for me personally, within honestly a week, I, I learned a lot. And after a month, probably March um, of that of 2017, I said I, I got to contact these people. Um, and I said, wait a minute, the American Academy of Neurology meeting is in Boston next month. I'm going to contact these people and say, can I, can I swing by? So I basically kind of came by the office. Um, you were busy. You were too busy for me back then. Oh, it's cool. No, that's it's cool. not true. That's it's, not true. All, I you was not a, too busy. I was probably on a plane. You're right. <laughs> uh, so, so whatever it was, I met with um, some folks and I was blown away by the science team, all Harvard, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, folks. Yeah, we've got a great research team. Yeah. I mean, like really smart people um, that just blew me away. The science was there. The tech was there. Um, you know, the evidence was there, which is I like really important um and and basically um i said we got to do something with this and uh next thing we know like a couple months later I, we got a donation you know one of our patients uh, was a grateful patient that gave us some money and i said what, what should we do with it and he said 
do whatever you want with it. And I said, I know what I'm doing. So I bought a, a bunch of whoops and you guys were, were great. We worked with you guys and we bought a bunch. And then um, actually later on, uh, we had a fundraiser called Aces for Alzheimer's. These two girls from high school in upstate New York um, uh, actually uh, – put together a fundraiser on a tennis tournament and um i said what do you want to do with it and i said can we do with the money and they said uh well what about something athletic and sport related and i said great let's let's buy some more whoops so we bought, <laughs> bought the more whoops we hired someone part-time to help with the study and uh, and that's really how the study was born and the goal was to basically we had all these patients um really doing all this stuff already doing the cognitive tests doing the brain imaging doing everything well, we just decided to slap whoops on people and um track something to see if there anything that we could detect in the data to figure out um, maybe uh, if their brain is working well or not. And, I, and again, this idea was a little crazy, but I honestly thought that um, we could detect a person's cognitive function by looking at a person's cardiovascular function, plus or minus sleep function. Um, that was my hypothesis. That's what my gut told me. And I actually kind of can't believe it, but you're fast forward the, the clock two years, and we actually now have proof that that actually is the case. That's like a little crazy for me to say. It's pretty amazing. So uh, the, the overall, the, the goal is to evaluate for possible relationships, I'm reading this here from the study, between cognitive performance and sleep patterns in patients with a family history of Alzheimer's disease and determine the feasibility of using a wrist-worn biosensor device, WHOOP, in patients at risk for AD dementia. And to your point, I mean, previous research had, had indicated that a decrease in REM could be associated with an increased risk of Alzheimer's. Um, there wasn't a ton of studies that have been done on this. And in fact, you were kind of working against the grain here. I mean, in your book, I love this quote from the National Institute of Health in 2010, which says that um, firm conclusions cannot be drawn about the association of any modifiable risk factor with cognitive decline or AD. I mean, how lame is that? Oh, oh man. Like, this is what I've been up against for, like, my entire career. And, you know, I, it's 10 years later. Um, I, I, you know, we have a study um, uh, that just came out. I'm really excited about it. We can talk about that in a, a separate podcast. That's a long thing. But, uh, you know, our, our work on the clinical side uh, and a lot of these, actually, a lot of these patients wear WHOOP. So, um, you know, help help to, uh, to help to motivate people, I think, too. Um, but but we're just turning that statement on its head. Um, you know, our, our new research study in Alzheimer's and dementia, just it just says that that statement is categorically incorrect. So, um, uh, you know, we've made we've made a lot of progress, which is great. But to make more progress, we need to um, really track, uh, be able to track brain and body health in a passive, cost-effective way. And um, I think the promise with using a wrist biosensor like Whoop is is really, um, you know, uh, exponential in terms of that. Let's talk for a second about the actual uh, method uh, for this study. So I understand we had 40 people, ultimately 33 subjects with a family history of AD wore whoop straps throughout the entire study. And I mean, it was really fascinating for me to read about this because there's all sorts of testing that's going on throughout the whole thing. I often talk to, you know, sports teams or uh, executive clients. They're trying to figure out how to map whoop data to other things in their lives. And here you guys have really clear uh, data sets to map whoop data to. So talk about the methodology. 
Sure. So, um, so I'm, I'm just a brain, simple brain doctor, um, but we had really smart people that helped us with this. Um, we had this guy, uh, Dr. Peter Yan. He's actually now back in Boston. He went to BU for med school, and now he's at Harvard for, uh, for, for work. Really um, smart he's, guy. Oh, he's a smart – he's, a, he's uh, no way I could have possibly done this without him, and he's, he's the co-first author on the paper. Um, so Peter um, was a bioinformatics fellow. He's also a neurologist. He's also an epileptologist, meaning, seizure, uh, meaning uh, seizures and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. And he understands brain metrics and physiology and sleep and all this stuff that's way over my head. And basically um, got together a team to take the rich data set that Whoop gave us. Now, you know, when, when I look at the app um, and I track my own performance and I look at my performance every morning and I, you know, basically say, okay, I, now I know how I'm doing. Um, this is, I better plan my day in terms of what I should do for exercise or what I should do for sleep or whatever else. Well, we um, had to take the back end of that data that you guys provided us in, you know, Excel spreadsheets and we um, had a lot of data. Let me just put it that way. Um, this, the Whoop data that you see in the <laughs> app is, uh, is, is just a a pretty looking snapshot of it, but we actually, you know, got down and deep into the engine and saw, holy cow, like, what do we do with all this data? So, um, long story short, we, um, basically had Peter and his team, um, do, sorry, really fancy things that I don't understand. Um, using bioinformatic type, whatever, and K means clustering. And I honestly just can't even explain it all. It's all in the paper, but, um, figured out the different metrics that, were most correlated with the cognitive measures that we were collecting in the clinic. Yeah, I mean, it looks like the the team really used some sophisticated machine learning to ultimately divide these, you know, the subjects into two different groups. And then they were able to look at how WHOOP biometric data compared to some of these tests that are, you know, typically used to help stage the severity of uh, of Alzheimer's disease, so I think two two of the key uh, tests, and you you're going to explain this better than I am, Richard, were around uh, blood tests and then also around cognitive tests. So what types of tests were 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 we using in the study? Great. So you explained that actually way better than I could have. So thank you. Um, <laughs> this this stuff's complicated for me, but yeah, the the, um, the cognitive tests that we do um, look at different areas of brain function. So we look at not just memory function, but also learning. Can someone learn new material? Then when we talk about memory, we don't just say, oh, well, you know, remember three words, or remember whatever. We look at verbal memory. We look at logical memory. We look at associative memory. We look at other things. We look at um, executive function or higher order processing. We look at processing speed and attention. Then we do this interference stuff so we make it even harder for people to do it. Then we do tests that kind of combine a little bit of executive function, a little bit of processing speed, and we basically um, try to assess all the different parts of the brain. And we also look at um, blood-based biomarkers, so cholesterol measures, um, you know, inflammation, things like that. So in the, goal, the goal of the study was to try to um, correlate with, with whether WHOOP collected metrics could um, really predict um, whether or not someone did well or not as well on some of the cognitive tests. And um, you, you can probably explain the results better than me, but the long story short, what I got out of it um, was, you know, and this is, again, you have to read the paper. It's in the Journal of the Prevention of Alzheimer's Disease, um, and it gets into fair amount of granularity in the paper. But what I got out of it was, is that using the WHOOP collected measures, um, 
we were able to predict whether or not a person was going to fall into two buckets and that that one bucket would be someone with um, excellent or, or above average executive function, higher order processing, which is um, a kind of a predictive measure for someone with cardiovascular disease as well as um, Alzheimer's disease. Uh, otherwise, the person would drop in the other bucket and the other bucket meant that, um, you know, the, the whoop measure measures said, huh, I'm a little worried about this person. Um, their cognitive function uh, was below expected, below average, and that there was a, a difference between the two groups. So um, that's um, one way that I guess I would explain the results. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty amazing. The punchline is that this is the first study ever to show that slow wave sleep identified by a wrist-worn wearable device, which is WHOOP, can actually correlate with performance on cognitive tests, right? And if you're, if you're trying to figure out ultimately how someone's mind is functioning and what stage they are for Alzheimer's, and we can talk about the potential for all sorts of different cognitive functions and, and the correlations with sleep, because I think there's a lot of different ways to think about where this study goes. But the bottom line is that we were able to show that slow-wave sleep um, correlated with performance on cognitive tests. And uh, what's exciting for me, just in, in obviously building technology, is 89% of the participants who participated in the six-month study said they wanted to keep wearing WHOOP. So if you get back to this idea of, of non-invasive technology and being able to conveniently uh, use technology to better understand your body, better understand performance... I mean, here we've got a clear use case where people who aren't necessarily uh, the most obvious target population for WHOOP, right, from day one at least, uh, they're willing and, and able to use it. And so that goes to a lot of the hard work that our design team and our engineering team has, has gone through to build this. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, we um, planned this study as a six-month study, and then we were going to, like, you know, give it to other people and, you know, give it, okay, give us the device back. Yeah, that didn't work. Um, <laughs> like, when people um, were given this device, they weren't wanting to give it back. Um, and I, I mean, I agree. These are people of all ages, you know, mid-20s up to, I think the oldest whoop wear in our study was, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but 72 maybe. I don't even remember anymore. Um, he's a really nice guy. He is, uh, you know, I know these people, like the back of my hand. He's actually a psychiatrist. Oh, cool. um, he's a really cool dude. Um, we go to spin class at the same place um, over on uh, 67th Street. Um, you know, I'm looking at the app now. I mean, you know, we've, we completed this study like I don't even like over a year ago. It just takes so long for research to get published and all that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, like uh, this guy, APC 108, uh, man, this guy, <laughs> this guy's a trip. He, he texts me at like at 11:59 PM. He's like, Hey, uh, you had a rough day today. I'm, I'm beating you again. So, you know, having, having the <laughs> I'm, lead, I'm looking at a whoop leaderboard with Richard here yeah, in the office. Yeah. So actually the second, the person in second place today, she's great. She did some weightlifting today. She's, um, she's an, uh, actually a, another doctor, an orthopedic surgeon, uh, re retired orthopedic surgeon. She She's really great. Um, the, th the person in third place today is a guy from Utah, Tall Paul. I, I can say that because it's not identifying information. Um, Tall Paul is a cool dude. Uh, he's, a, he's a cyclist, long-distance cyclist. Uh, I'm in seventh place today with my uh, – that's my picture. Do you know who that is? <laughs> I'm trying to see the photo now. That's Rick Ross. That's, <laughs> nice. that's, that's my nickname. So I'm in seventh place today. I haven't done much today, I'm, um, but I will do something later. And APC 10, That's he's in ninth place. He's a cool dude. He's a physical therapist, former division. Uh, he, oh, he played uh, football at Delaware. I'm not sure what division that is, but um, right. yeah, he's he's a good dude. And uh, so he's, he's obviously a former collegiate athlete. We have all sorts of people in the study from all walks of life. And um, literally the study ended, I 
uh, like over a year ago, and this this the whole leaderboard is still still active. So. Well, you know, for for us in in. Uh, in building technology, I mean that's music to our ears because you, you you hope that you can build something that's simple enough to use and provides enough valuable data that uh, you know people ultimately want to keep wearing it, keep using it. So if I'm reading here the conclusion of this study, it says our findings suggest that individuals with a family history of AD more time spent in deep sleep may predict uh, may predict improved executive function. I mean, it's amazing, uh, Richard, what you and your team have been able to show with this study. We're definitely proud, uh, very proud to have been part of it at Whoop. Where, where do we go from here? What are the what are the next steps and, and how can you see this evolving? Sure. So, um, you know, we published this study um, and, um, you know, we had specific outcome measures that we kind of chose right at the beginning. And, and that's how studies are designed. You, so you design a study and you say at the beginning um, exactly what you want to study. And um, so that's the data that we presented. Now, there is so much more data. Um, I mean, you kept talking about the deep sleep and executive function. And like, I kept having to hold my tongue because I know so much more about what these metrics can do, but, you know, we, we didn't a priori or like before the study started, set those out as um, endpoints. Um, so that's going to inform what I want to do in the future. So what I want to do in the future and what we've done is applied for grant funding for additional support for a hundred patients this time. Now we, we purchased, I believe it was 40 whoops back in the day. We offered 34 whoops to patients. Um, one of them lost it within a week, pain in the butt. And he, uh, he, uh, you guys all know know this person. He's on television, so um, every time I see him on TV, I'm still upset that he lost his darn whoop and didn't even like buy another one. But the other six um, are the other six people that are not that didn't get in the study were people on our team. So um, our team really enjoyed wearing it and, and, and learned from it. So with all of this massive amount of data um, that we haven't published on, we um, actually use this to inform the next phase of our work. So the next phase of our work is an application. Um, so uh, Bill Gates threw um, his hat into the ring, um, thankfully with Alzheimer's That's research, awesome. um, with, uh, with something called digital biomarkers or, or really looking for Alzheimer's biomarkers. Well, digital biomarkers, what music to our ears, because when we started this study, there was zero, nothing, not even one grant application on the planet where someone could apply for money in this space. So, you know, we did this kind of by the seat of our pants and, and through grateful patience. Um, and what we did now is we applied for half a million dollars through the Gates, uh, the Gates allotment. That money was given through the Alzheimer's Drug Discovery Foundation. Uh, we'll hear about that in probably another three or four or five months uh, with, with grants. We submitted it uh, and then basically it takes six months for all the decisions. But what we're going to really try to do next Next is um, really expand the cohort, um, do more measures. And, and what I'd like to do is to try to detect, um, and I, I have a feeling of, of what, what the answer is here, but um, I believe, or sorry, my hypothesis is, is that um, whoop collected measures um, may predict whether or not a person has amyloid in their brain. Um, wow, and, and that'd I, be epic. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm going with my gut here because I always go with my gut. Um, I don't have exact proof on this, but when I look at the patients in the study, I know who had amyloid in their brain and I know what their measures looked like. And um, 
that'll, I'll just leave it at that. I just think that um, that this type of research um, can not only um, detect um, uh, whether there's a problem, uh, but detect it in a more cost-effective uh, and honestly safer way. A PET scan, aside from being five thousand dollars, you get like some radiation. You can't even have more than two or three PET scans a year because uh, it increases potentially risk for cancer. So, um, you know, I, I think passive monitoring um, can can do something like this, and I also think passive monitoring can detect, you know, in, in, in millions of people as opposed to PET scans, you know, there's only been, you know, maybe 100,000 PET scans done ever for, for amyloid or maybe less. And, and, and with a biosensor, I mean, millions of people can be um, assessed. And if they're at high risk, those are the people we need to do something in. Well, you know, our mission at WHOOP is really to unlock human performance. And what we're finding over the past uh, six, 12 months and working with, with people like yourself, Richard, is, uh, you know, cognitive performance is a huge component of that. And it's pretty critical uh, to any form of performance, broadly speaking. Now, uh, you've been on WHOOP for, uh, for quite some time. What are some things you've learned about yourself just from, from monitoring your body? Oh boy, this is fun. Um, and this is really a, a treat for me. So I appreciate you coming down um, all the way yeah, from Boston. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, uh, I ran my first marathon at age 13, Long Island Marathon. Um, that was my first and only marathon. That's kind of amazing. I don't know how many people who've run a marathon age 13. Thank you. That was my first and last. Um, I now do half marathons, um, but that's about it. I've never excelled as an um, athlete in the ways of other people are. So I'm glad I could get in the back door and get on the Locker Whoop podcast, uh, you know, <laughs> some way or another. So I'm glad those six years of medical school turned into something. But um, I've learned um, a ridiculous amount uh, from, from wearing Whoop. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. Um, I, what did I learn about? myself. Well, I learned about myself that I'm not just going to schedule classes. I'm not going to schedule, you know, I, I, you know, Allison is my spin instructor and she's terrific. Um, but I'm, you know, yes, she teaches Monday, Tuesday and Sunday, but sometimes that weekend warrior 1130 AM class, um, that's 60 minutes. Um, I shouldn't be taking that class because I'm not ready. Um, and I'm not recovered. So I learned a lot about myself in terms of recovery. Um, you know, I learned what, what does it to me and what doesn't. Um, so I don't drink much alcohol because my head, um, I get headaches. Um, but you know, if I would even have, and I don't know, this sounds, this sounds crazy to me back then. And now I know it's true with my patients too. I mean, a half a beer to a beer, completely destroy me. My heart rate variability is just, just like to the floor. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Um, you know, when it comes to sleep, um, I had to really do a better job at, at getting myself ready for sleep. Um, you know, melatonin for me, um, um, helps, um, and, and that helps, uh, in a way that when, when I'm jet lagged and I'm traveling all over the place, um, a tiny little dose of melatonin, um, really kind of righted the ship a lot of times. And, um, I just had no idea. Now I have again objective data to 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 tell me that uh, for myself. Um, you know, I, I've learned a lot, not just um, wearing the Whoop, but kind of from, uh, there's a Whoop community I'm sure you're aware of on Facebook. Um, I'm like never I've on- I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm never, I'm, I'm rarely on Facebook because <laughs> um, social media freaks me out. But um, I mean, I've learned a lot from them about what could potentially help with heart rate variability, help with deep sleep. Um, that's been that's been a learning experience. Um, I, you know, I got my pulse down from resting pulse of 56, which I thought was healthy. I mean, I thought I was like in good shape. Um, and I thought a resting pulse of 56 is pretty good. Um, I was wrong. Um, my pulse now is between 43 and 45. Wow. Um, you know, and how did I do that? Well, 
I'm learned, I learned a lot about interval training versus weights and, you know, all the measures that I need to track for myself. Um, and, you know, I've read, and I don't know if this is correct, but for every one beat of heart rate that a person comes down, that increases longevity by about three months. So to me, like, I'm, I'm wondering, like, wow, I, I can not only improve potentially my longevity, but also my brain health. So this is something that, you know, I need to pay attention to. So I think the other thing I've learned about is, is the motivation aspect. The team, um, you know, I was, I was there in the days before Teams and before all the fancy settings on the app. And I, I've been using the app for, for a while. But when you guys enabled the, the team setting, um, that was cool. Um, yeah, you know, the breakthrough. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, like, my, um, you know, my patient is texting me at night uh, laughing because, you know, like, he's beating me on the leaderboard. Well, I'm going to then go walk my dog or do, <laughs> or do 50 pushups so that I can then beat him. Um, the fact that, you know, we've been able to use whoop to motivate, um, people and, and each other, um, I think is, is, is a really important breakthrough. You know, um, Alzheimer's terrible. It's like the worst possible disease. Like, I mean, there's a lot of bad diseases out there, but anything that can motivate people to sleep better, um, exercise more, exercise more efficiently. Um, I think, I think is a win-win for, for everyone. It's a public health, um, you know, add value add. And, and I think, um, it, the, the competitive tracking part of it has been a lot of fun too. For whoop users listening to this or, or, uh, or otherwise, what, what are your couple quick hits on, um, just generally speaking, how to, you know, prevent Alzheimer's and, or just, you know, be in a position where in over the course of the rest of your life, you're not going to have, you're less likely to have to worry about it. Sure. So, um, for whoop listeners out there, you are already schooled about exercise and sleep and exercise and sleep are easily two of the five most important things. Um, exercise on a regular basis, um, whether it's cardiovascular three times a week or weights twice a week, or, you know, depends on, on what, what, what you are and what your muscle mass is and what your body fat is. Um, so exercise on a regular basis that's targeted for you, um, is really, really important. Um, you know, sleep, um, you gotta, you gotta pay attention to sleep. It's, it's, it's really important. So for the, for the non whoop metrics tract, well, actually in some ways, Oh, you know what I learned about whoop? Uh, <laughs> when I eat bad when i eat lots of sugar like that's i was at a yankee game recently and i went crazy on the junior mints and skittles um and eminent i may have gone crazy it was like all you can eat so i went a little too crazy I didn't have any beer. I didn't do anything else wrong. And just sugar really messes up my heart rate. So um, nutrition um, is key. Um, eating a uh, Mediterranean-style diet. Um, um, I really also believe in intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating. I, I don't eat um, uh, breakfast um, uh, for the most part. I wait 12 to 14, even to 16 hours, for probably at least five days a week between dinner and breakfast. I think that helps with brain longevity. Um, I think the other key here is that um, know your numbers. Um, everyone out there should know, just like you know your weight um and in the past we used to get fooled by saying oh i'm gonna my bmi my body mass index i'm gonna get my height and my weight and that's gonna be a a picture of my health well no not at all um just like your resting pulse is one part of the the metric and uh you know what about heart rate variability what is your recovery um knowing your numbers know your blood pressure know your resting pulse know your heart rate variability know your cholesterol know your blood sugar know every single thing about you. Um, you know, there was a study recently, it was called the Sprint Mind Study. And uh, it looked at people and they randomized people to regular blood pressure control versus more aggressive or more comprehensive. And, and the, the regular target was 140 over 80. And most people out there listening, if they have a blood pressure of 140 over 80, they're not going to be sounding any alarms and even their doctors won't either. But when you looked at the uh, arm, the intervention randomized arm where the target blood pressure control was 120 over 70, 
Controlling blood pressure from 140 over 80 to 120 over 70, reducing it for just three years, reduced the likelihood of the stage two mild cognitive impairment due to to Alzheimer's disease or or early dementia by 19%. So the fact that, um, you know, 19% risk reduction in Alzheimer's disease, dementia from just just modifying blood pressure. You add that to the exercise, the sleep, the nutrition, the meditation, the, you know, eating more berries, um, eating more fatty fish, um, you know, blah, 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 controlling everything else. Um, I mean, I really think we can make a dent um, in this disease. Now, um, if, if someone is out there and wants to learn more, we all of this is free. I thank you for plugging the book. I appreciate that. I'm going to make yeah, 30, 37 it, cents. The book you, will be in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Um, I get 37 cents every time you buy a book. So thanks. But no, you don't have to buy the book. You can. Um, <laughs> um, thanks. For, you actually did read it because you quoted it. But um, if anyone wants um, free education online, again, totally free, um, it's at Alzheimer's Universe is the name of the site. It's A-L-Z-U, the letter U, um, dot org, A-L-Z-U dot org. And uh, Alzheimer's Universe has courses for high school students, college students, um, medical students, uh, doctors, as well as the general public. Um, and uh, we've had over 1.5 million people on the site. Um, we've actually partnered with Seth Rogen, who's, who's, who's been really great. Uh, he donned my lab coat and kind of taught several courses for us. So uh, whether you want to learn about Alzheimer's, learn about whatever, or see Seth Rogen make some funny jokes, um, uh, definitely check out the, the course. And, and all that will be uh, in the show notes. And if people are interested in giving to Alzheimer's research or giving to some of the work that you're doing, Richard, where can they find that? Oh, and um, honestly, um, thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, we um, honestly are just two steps ahead of the curve um, with research. And they're literally um, – Literally, there are, there were no grants for what we do did with Whoop until like a few months ago. So two and a half years early, we had to generate the money. And for most of the preventative work we do, I know this sounds crazy, but there are no research grants. We can't even apply for grants if we wanted to. I've been in contact with the National Institutes of Health and this and that. Like they just don't even have work. Uh, to apply for. So um, philanthropy is amazing. We really, really, really appreciate it. Every single dollar goes to immediate good use, um, you know, including fun, innovative projects like this. You can even dedicate if you want want us to do a whoop study we'll pay we'll and pay for it please let's let's do it um so um actually on alzu.org there's a there's a donate button and you can give through uh, wild cornell medicine or new york presbyterian um and if you're thinking about a larger gift or you really have capacity and you want to really fast forward and move the needle um just reach out to me i'm, I'm findable on the internet uh pretty easily uh, maybe too easily um at my uh, email address all right. Well, we'll include all of that uh, in the show notes. Richard, this has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for all the work that you do to advance Alzheimer's research. Cool. And uh, Will, thank you. Um, it's not uh, common where I uh, uh, meet someone who invented a device that I wear uh frequently meaning every day um for the <laughs> last three and a half yeah 24 7 it's always on see i got i got the motto down yeah. uh but thanks for uh, being a, a a trailblazer um i can tell you that um when you're ahead of the curve um you have to endure some pain so i'm sure you've endured pain i've endured it uh but thanks for uh pushing forward no thank you man it's been a real pleasure Thanks again to Dr. Isaacson for coming on the podcast. We are thrilled to explore how Whoop can further his research to prevent Alzheimer's disease. If you're not already a Whoop member, you can join our community for as low as $30 to begin. We provide you with 24-7 access to your biometric data, as well as analytics across strain, sleep, recovery, heart rate variability, and more. 
The membership comes with a free Whoopstrap 3.0. We offer 6, 12, and 18-month memberships. The more you sign up for, the more you save. If you enter the code WILLAHMED at checkout, that's W-I-L-L-A-H-M-E-D, we'll give you $30 off a membership just for listening to this podcast. For our European customers, the code is WILLAHMEDEU, and that will give you 30 euros off when you join. For our listeners in Australia, the code WILLAHMEDEU will get you 35 Australian dollars off your membership. And for our current members, you can upgrade to the Whoopstrap 3.0 and get access to all the new Whoop Live features by following the link in your Whoop app. If you're out of contract, you'll literally get the 3.0 for free when you commit to another six months. Check out whoop.com slash thelocker for show notes and more, including links to relevant topics from this conversation and others. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Whoop podcast on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can find me online at Will Ahmed. I try to respond to everyone who reaches out. Uh, and you can also follow at Whoop on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can email thelocker at whoop.com with any thoughts, ideas, or suggestions you may have. Thank you again to all our listeners, to all our Whoop members. We love you.